Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. If Americans switch from pounds to kilograms overnight, that would be mass confusion. All right, think about this one now. If Zippo Manufacturing, Audi uh, Auto Cars, Mountain Dew, and Dakota Mining all merged, the new company would be Zippity Doo Dah. <laughs> I'm rooting for that one to happen, right? All right. I got a video we're going to start with today, just a short video. Um, yeah, I saw it. I think it'll be self explanatory. So, do your senses ever lie to you? So what you had there was a 3D chalk drawing. When the goats approached, they thought it was a natural bridge out, and their senses lied to them. In other words, what they were being told in their thinking was not actually the way things were in reality. Hold on, hold on. We live in a world right now. Anybody got a phone you can loan me? I was thinking and talking about this. Thank you, thank you. Talking about this. Now, if you're younger, you won't get this, but does anybody remember when these used to be on the wall and you would dial 918-8? Come on, I still remember my childhood number, 918-875-3254, right? Because I had to dial it and wait for it. And if you missed a number, you had to hang up and start all over again. Right? In early days, I could pick up the phone and I could listen to the neighbors talk. Anybody remember that? Now, in my lifetime, I am just slightly over 50 years old. All right, I'm way over 50 years old. All right. In my lifetime, we have gone from that to now... I can immediately be in contact with anyone, anywhere in the world. I have access to things right now. When I was a kid, come on, when I was a kid, if you, if you wanted to see boobies, you had to sneak into an R-rated movie. Now, 10 seconds. Are y'all following me? The world has changed. Do y'all remember the printing press, how the printing press changed the world? Printing press, totally there was a revolution around the printing press. Part of our discomfort is that we are in the middle of a revolution and you're living through it daily and don't even recognize you are in one of the most colossal historical shifts in the history of humanity because of this right here and you don't know how to handle it. I sing songs like, I just want to speak the name of Jesus until anxiety starts to break. Do you know when anxiety started overwhelming our world? We used to do this thing called disconnecting, where we were actually in the room with the people we were in the room with, and now, come on guys, my point in all that is not to, if it breaks, great. 
maybe we won't get a replacement. <laughs> we are in history-making epoch. This is a time that is lying to our minds and lying to our kids and lying to our world. And, and guys, I just want to tell you, we probably, if we were smart, if I could just be smart for a second. This is not my sermon, but I, I've been praying on this and thinking on this. If we were smart, we might just take two or three steps back from this interconnected internet world, social media, overload, phone all the time, being the buzz that controls your life. If you want to have some sanity in your world, maybe, maybe, maybe we have advanced beyond our ability to handle it and we need a few years to catch up. And since we haven't caught up, maybe the church of Jesus Christ might be the people that lead in maybe backing off of this garbage a little bit. I'm not calling it bad. I'm just saying we're not equipped for it yet. We haven't had two or three generations to sort out how to deal with it yet. Are y'all following me? I hope I'm talking to someone today because I'm tired of watching people's lives be controlled by something they don't even understand how it's controlling them yet. And if you've got a kid below the age of 12, before, anyway, and you've got them a phone and you haven't locked that sucker down, you, as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure you shouldn't lock it down before they're 16. I don't, I don't know. My kids survived without phones until they were 16, I think, 14, 16. I survived without a phone until I was 35. <laughs> we might be able to survive without constant connectedness everywhere. Anyway, just saying. Do your senses ever trick you? Do you ever feel one thing and it's not really the truth? Do you ever think about something differently than it really is? If I were to say to you, I'm mad about my flat, what does I'm mad about my flat mean? Well, it depends. If you're in Great Britain, you're happy about your apartment. Just think about that. The simple usage of word and the simple ideology and the perceptions behind what we do. So our senses tell us, this is our message today, and we're in Luke chapter 18. Our senses tell us that we need to be good enough to earn God's favor. That's the history of humanity. Our senses tell us that we need to be good enough to earn God's favor, that salvation is about something we do rather than something we receive. Do you ever read Jesus and you say, like, what? It seems like he's presenting an alternate reality that's different than my version of reality. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to you the left as well. Come on, is that anybody's reality in this room? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven without a hand than it is to go to hell with two. That's, that's pretty out there thinking, isn't it? What I want to do is I want to tell you two stories today, and I want to try to correct some of your sensory overload, some of the things that you intentionally or unintentionally think about the world and think about salvation and think about your life. And I want to use two stories to do so to talk about Jesus' upside-down kingdom and his reversal of what we think is normal and right and his, his presentation of truth. So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? Now, I haven't wore a T-shirt to 
preach in in years except for Harvest Palooza. But, you know, this cool shirt, um, somebody in the church, church they, their business made it at the small business thing we did. They said, hey, I got a shirt for you. I'm like, I like this Christian shirt enough. I would actually wear it. It says, death before retreat. That sounds like me, right? I want to charge hell with a half-empty squirt gun. <laughs> Come on. Let's go rescue somebody from darkness. What do you say? Uh, all right. Luke chapter 9, verse 24. I told you we'd be in Luke 18. We will go there. That's our story. But I thought this sort of summed it up. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Come on, this, this is the exact opposite. Your senses tell you you need to do everything you can to protect you. But Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, if you give away your life for Jesus, you'll save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world, everything this world values, what good would it be for you to gain the whole world but forfeit your suke, your soul. That's the first part of this message when I was talking about the colossal shift of our culture. Is a lot of us, we're gaining all the things the world has to offer. And we're sacrificing our soul so we can check out how somebody looks on Instagram. What would it profit or gain someone to gain everything this world has to offer? forfeit your very self, your soul. Father, I pray that today you would speak to us and our hearts would be open to you. I pray that you'd help us to see the truth of what you say rather than how our feelings lead us astray. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking truth. Let us hear it. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, you got to turn to three or four people around you. Give them a big high five. Tell them smile, love, hug, hi. If you're online, high five. All right. I don't know any way to do this except to do it, so let's just jump in. We're going to talk about two stories today that contrast two different approaches to salvation and your relationship with God. The first one is the rich young ruler. Now, I can preach an entire message from the rich young ruler, and I can preach an entire message from our second story, and I can teach an entire message from the middle part. But what I want to do is I want to just gloss over this to get to the main point. Would that be all right? Yep. All right. Luke 18, 18. Now, um, you guys decide. Do you want me to go slow through the text, or do you want me to read the text and then come back and talk about it? How many say, go slow through the text? Show your hand. How many of you say, read it and then come back to it? All right, you win. <laughs> A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony and honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You are missing one thing. You still lack one thing. You sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very key word, which you're going to find in both texts. He was very what? Wealthy. Now, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, those who heard this asked, well, then who can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. All right, let's back up to the beginning and let's walk through the story. Y'all be all right with that? The story is the story of what's known as the rich young ruler. We don't know he's a ruler from here, but from one of the other gospels, it says he was a man with authority and a ruler. But we do know he was rich from this text. So the story is filled with irony. It starts off with good teacher. Good teacher. So Jesus' immediate answer to him says, good teacher. And then he says, hey, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that's who? God. So are you calling me God? <laughs> Y'all don't catch that, do you? Jesus, by the way, is what? God incarnate flesh walking on earth. He is fully God, fully man. I don't understand it, but it's true. He left. Philippians chapter 2 says that he laid aside his glory of heaven, and he came to earth in the form of a man in flesh, and being humbled in the flesh, he died upon the cross. And, and that's, a, that's the text that tells us, there's others that tell us that Jesus is the very nature and being of God. Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is God, and he's standing there talking to this guy, and this guy comes up to him and says, hey, good teacher, and, and Jesus just cuts to the chase. He says, all right, you calling me good? Why are you calling me good? Why are you calling? Why are you talking to me? Talk, right? Why are you talking to me? You calling me good because there's only one that's good, God. What do you know who? Do you know who you're talking to? Come on, I I cannot escape the irony of this passage. And then he said a question. This question is, well, this is sort of the question that. We naturally all, our senses tell us to ask. He said, what good thing must I do? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Who, who's got to do it? I do. I do. Salvation then, eternal life, is based upon one thing, his productivity. Now, isn't this what the world teaches us? Come on, it doesn't the very nature of things teach you this? If you want something, you've got to go out and make it happen. Anybody ever, so when I, I moved into my house years ago, um, I wanted a, a yard 
to mow because I'd been living in a condo and they mowed my yard for me and I grew up making money mowing yards. I love to mow grass because I love it to be nice and neat, the lines all straight and pretty and I love it when the grass is laying the right direction. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? I wanted this. So you know what I did? I just looked at my yard and said, okay, yard, grow. Is that what I did? Anybody moved into a new house before? Yeah, you know what I did? I didn't the hire sod. No, I went out there and I hand-tilled the entire yard. I hand-seeded the entire yard. I fertilized it. I watered it. I made sure it grew. If I wouldn't have done that, you know what would have come up in that yard? Weeds. All right, you guys got this. So very nature of things teaches us that if we don't do the work, we don't get the rewards. So he's coming to Jesus and said, all right, I want this eternal life. What do I got to do? And Jesus answered him. He said, um, he gave him some commands, right? The commands he gave him, he lists them off. Uh, let me see. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. So he gave him a few commands from the middle of the Ten Commandments. And the guy says, what about all of these doing commands? I've done these doing commands. I haven't committed adultery. I don't give false testimony. I've honored my father and mother. I'm a good person. Anybody ever hear anybody say that? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. So he's a good person. Do you know, though, Jesus left a couple of commands out of the Ten Commandments? Did you know that? There's more than just those five. There's a couple that he missed. Do you know what the first one is? What's the first one? You shall have what? No other gods before me. I'm it. I'm your only God. How about number 10? Anybody know number 10? Don't covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's whatever. Oh, we got a problem because both of those commands are internal attitudes, not external actions. And what Jesus did was he called out his internal attitudes. And he said to him, okay, you've obeyed all the do's. Well, let's see if, well, let's see if I give you a command to show that internally God is first in your life. If I give you an order to show what's inside you, what's going to happen? And he says to him, you lack one thing. You hadn't obeyed number one and ten, but I'm not going to call you out on that. I'm going to call you out by asking you to do something then since you want to do it. Hold on. I don't think you caught that. Jesus didn't ask him to do something because Jesus wanted him to do it. Jesus said, oh, you want to be good enough to have eternal life? Well, then here, let me tell you what you can do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And the guy goes, God is not my only God. Money is, my stuff is. And I want other stuff. I want stuff. One thing you like, sell everything, give it to the poor. Okay, you obey all the rules. Let's do these two. And the man didn't. Before we do that, though, I will just say, I am a, I'm among a lot of Christian places online. Believe it or not, I, I, the Facebook pages I go to, they're, all, they're Christians. I, uh, most of them, yeah. I'm on a Christian meme page because I like good Christian memes. I like to laugh, and I found out that Christians have no sense of humor. I, I'm just, I don't know. Anyway, I hear Christians talk all the time, and I hear this all the time. 
Some people take this command right here and say, everybody has to do it. Everybody has to sell everything. You cannot be a Christian and be and have money. You can't do it. The reason you can't do it is Jesus told you to sell it all. So if you didn't sell it all, well, then you're not a Christian. And I hear that kind of stuff everywhere. And it's funny to me that the Christians that are saying that own a car. Or I hear the condemnation come out of you after hearing people talk like that. Do I have to sell everything? If I don't sell everything, am I not following Jesus? This is not a universal command Jesus is giving to all people of all time. This is a guy talking to a guy that's saying, I'm so good. This is a guy talking to a guy. Jesus is talking to a man about his heart. Are y'all following me here? This is not a universal command. You don't have to sell everything that you own to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus never asked anybody else other than this one person to do that. Did y'all know that? So if any of you have this condemnation on you that you've got to sell everything or you're not a Christian, I would tell you that you probably are taking one verse out of context and it's lying to you because you think you've got to earn your salvation too. You know, money always makes people act weird. <clears throat> Y'all know that, right? <coughs> Weirder. Weird. Um, I was reading a Facebook post the other day. Somebody mentioned Harvest Ridge in a comment, and they said, all that church wants is your money. I read that comment, and I'm like, I bet you they showed up one Sunday when I was preaching on Monday. <laughs> and you know what probably happened? The Holy Spirit probably convicted them, and they didn't listen, so they're taking it out on us online. By the way, do you know how I answered and responded to that comment? Do you all know how I responded to that? I didn't. You know why? Answer a fool according to his folly, and he will be wise in his own eyes. Answer a fool according to his folly, and you'll be just like him yourself. You know what you do? Come on, you don't have to answer everything. You can let some people say stuff and you can just let it flow off your back like water off a duck's back. Somebody needed to hear that today. But can I talk to you for a second about money? Good, I'm going to whether you like it or not. Do you know what Luke 12, 34 says? It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not where your heart is, there your treasure is, but it's the opposite. Why do you talk about stuff like this? Because Jesus, this is what the sermon is about. That's what these stories are about. Show me somebody that doesn't ever physically give to God their money, and I will show you somebody that is not discipled. Your heart is not devoted to God. Period. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You put your treasure intentionally. Do you know you have power? Sometimes your heart doesn't like to do what you want it to do. Anybody ever had feelings that you didn't like? Yeah? Anybody ever have those feelings you don't like? Do you know you, you can't do anything about those feelings, but you can do something about your intentional actions? So, for example, let's just say, for example... Some girl starts talking to me and makes me have a feeling. 
can I? I have an intentionality that I can walk away from that and to my wife. Because I am intentionally devoting my attention away from even what may feel. Are you, are you all following me? And, and what Jesus is saying here is, there are some things that are intentional, and there are some things you can't help feeling. But just because you feel it, it doesn't mean it's right. So, if you want to love Jesus, break out your checkbook, you know, that rectangular square that you used to use. Now, I, I'm saying, do, or go online, and, or, but, but do something. Even if you, you know, if you don't want to give to Harvest Ridge, give it somewhere in the name of God. Just do it as an intentional act of I am directing my heart towards giving to God in his name. Therefore, my emotions will follow. So, your heart follows your money. And then, and Jesus says something then. He said, it's hard for the rich to be saved. In the text, he said, it's hard for the rich to be saved. And he, he gives a comparison. He says, it's like camel going through the eye of the needle. And what's so funny about that is um, the camel through the eye of the needle, there's, I, I read several different commentaries on this. And, um, you know, for years I've heard it said, well, there's a gate in Jerusalem that it's a real little gate and camels had to get down on their knees and crawl through before they called that the eye of the needle and the camel would go through. And I thought it was really funny. I was doing some research on that, uh, thinking that maybe that was what Jesus was talking about. And I realized uh, the commentator said, no, the camel eye of the needle thing, that whole gate wasn't named that until like 20 years after Jesus. Hold on, y'all didn't get that, did you? So what was Jesus talking about? You got a needle and a camel going to go through the eye of the needle. And somebody said, well, that, that illustration sort of caught on. And later on, they made a gate in Jerusalem named the eye of the needle. Are, are y'all following me now? All right, so I, I just thought that was interesting. So, yes, a camel can get on his knees and walk through the eye of the needle. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about that being hard, he's talking about the impossibility of a camel literally going through the eye of a needle. It is impossible, right? Unless you blend them. <laughs> Pour them through a little bit at a time. My brain. All right. So then the question comes up. They immediately ask the question. The question is, well, then, who can anyone, how can anybody be saved? If they're rich. Now, now hold on. In that day, a lot like today, the rich were viewed as people who God had blessed. And if a rich person whom God had blessed couldn't be saved, then how could the rest of us be saved? And they're like, ah, uh, can't happen. And Jesus said something I thought was really cool. Luke 18, 27, he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And some of you need to highlight in their Bible, that right there, what is impossible with man is fully possible with God because God does not live in your realm of existence. God is not limited by what limits you. As a matter of fact, God spoke 
Whenever it happened, he spoke, and on the edges of our universe, it is still expanded, and light is popping out of darkness on the expanses of nothingness out there because God said, let there be light. And when God speaks, things happen. Notice that the rewards for trusting God include, by the way, blessings in this life. <clears throat> Luke 18, 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age. In this age. In other words, anything you give up for God, you never give it up. Didn't Jesus say, given it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap? Now listen, I'm not a prosperity teacher. I'm not a guy that's going to tell you, put $10 in the offering and God will give you 100 But I will tell you this, that if your attitude of your heart is to sacrifice to God with all that you are and all that you, you can give him and to show him your love and your mercy and your devotion, he will provide and take care of every need you have. I trust that. I believe in that. So let me, let me just tell you how I believe in that. 31 years ago, my wife and I moved to a town. We were a parachute drop here to plant a church. We had been to North Ridgeville for 30 minutes before we moved here. That's not smart. We moved here knowing no one, knowing nothing, having nothing. We moved into a one-bedroom apartment that the lady before us had MS, couldn't control her bowels, and had pooped all over the floor and all over the walls and everywhere. And we moved in because the only apartment we could get was as is because of the short notice we moved in three weeks' time from the time we left our previous job. Guys, things are not now like they... <laughs> Come on, we, we moved here. And I left in Oklahoma, my family, I left my lands. I left our family land, I gave it to my brother. I left my mom... I left all my friends. We left all of those things to come to a town that my wife and I, she left everything, I left everything to come here 31 years ago. And I have watched this verse happen in my life. I have watched this verse happen in my life. I have more quality of life than I could have dreamed of thinking I was sacrificing something only to have God pour out blessings I could never understand. Amen. If you're afraid of what you've got to give up for Jesus, then you really don't know how awesome Jesus really is. <laughs> All right. Zacchaeus. Let's go to that story. There's a gap in between the story of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. The gap, it helps explain What's going on between the two stories? Jesus makes some statements about following him, and there's a story about a guy crying for mercy. <clears throat> You'll find those stories. Read them for yourself. I'm not going to do it. Let's look at the story of Zacchaeus, because these two stories bookend the question of what must I do to be saved. Luke 19.1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was what? He was wealthy. So um, we've got two wealthy people bookending two stories. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd because Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, 
Oh, sorry. We need to teach some old songs like that to our kids, right? He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. By the way, what did Zacchaeus do for Jesus to say that? He just wanted to see him. He didn't do anything remarkable. He was a short guy and said, I got some problems I got to overcome if I'm going to get what I want in this life. And what I want is to see Jesus. And he was willing to do, come on, <clears throat> guys in those days wore robes. And if you're climbing a tree in a crowd, there, there's some issues here, right? Zacchaeus didn't care if he made a fool out of himself. Do you know what he wanted? He wanted to see Jesus more than he wanted his own dignity. And when Jesus looked up in a tree and saw him, he said, hey, there is faith. That's what faith looks like. Somebody who will take a step, even if it makes them look like an idiot. So <clears throat> he said, uh, I got to come to your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. I love the muttering and the new. I, I wish you could go through Luke and just circle every mutter in, in Luke. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, hold on. What did Jesus ask him to do? Nothing. Just make, take him into his house. And what does Zacchaeus do? He stands up and says, Look, Lord, here and now, I just give away half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, if I've done wrong to anybody, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation. He pronounced him saved. He said, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came and seek and save the lost. Now, what did he do to get saved? What great work did he do to get saved? All he did was accept, wanted to have a relationship with Jesus and accept the offer. That's it. The giving away was not what saved him. The giving away was an act of response to the love and the gratitude that he had towards God. The, I believe the book of James says that faith without works is dead. So if you have faith, you will actually do something about it. That's why 25 people are getting baptized tonight up at the lake. Because when you believe, you actually do something. Come on. If your faith never makes you do anything, you don't have a faith. You got your mom or your daddy's faith or your culture's faith. But if your faith never makes you actually think or act differently, you don't have faith. I hate to tell you that. But you're living on somebody else's salvation, not yours. All right. How did Zach react with his money? He realized... He got a greater prize, so he gave half away. There was no request to do so, just the response of a heart desiring Jesus. And notice he, he doesn't stop there. He said, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give you back four times the amount. 
I remember when God did that work in my heart. I was at Bible college, and I realized there was a store when I was a teenager. I don't tell you many stories about me as a teenager because it was not a person I want you to emulate. But I had a certain store that I had stole from a lot. Um, I had stole a lot from them. And I'm in college, and I have no money, but I got a summer job, and I've got my week's allowance. And I took my week's allowance down to that store that I stole from, and I walked in and asked for the owner, and I gave them my week's money and said, I used to steal from you, but I'm a Christian now, and I got to do something to make it right. Even though this may not be the dollar amount, I got to do something. I didn't do that because I was trying to earn anything. I did that because God had touched my heart, and he wants me to live this faith like I mean it. So, <clears throat> did, uh, did Zacchaeus sell everything to get saved? He did not. He is pronounced as saved, but he didn't sell everything, did he? No, he just, he just gave out of the gladness of his heart. And, and the money thing isn't really the point here because it's not what he did that pronounced him saved. It was what he did that showed he had received salvation. Now, I tell you this story because our, our senses tell us, you've got to do something great to follow Jesus. No, they don't. you just got to want him more than all the stuff that you consider so important. It's not a matter of your actions. Your actions will follow your heart. It's a matter of your heart. Do you want a relationship with Jesus more than you want anything else? So what do we learn? The rich young ruler was trying to do something. He was trying to do something to be saved. But Zacchaeus naturally, naturally did something as a result of his repentance. So salvation isn't what you do, but the attitude behind your actions. I'm going to say that again for those of you in the back, because I'm not sure it got all the way to you. <laughs> salvation, let me see isn't what you do, but it's the attitude behind your actions. My wife and I were listening to a podcast on the way home, and we actually listened to the thing, that part twice. We rewound it and listened to it again. And, and what it said just struck me to my heart. It's that Jesus, when he died, it says that Jesus died once for, for how many? All, once for all. And um, let me see, these won't be on the screen because I just added them. Hebrews 10, 10. We've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. 1 Timothy 4, 10. The living God who is the Savior of all people. Do you know God has already paid the price for every person in this world to be saved? He has already forgiven you of all of your sins. Did you know that? When Jesus died on the cross, every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future, were nailed to that cross. You are forgiven. When Jesus died, he took care of the sins of all humanity for all time. I'm not preaching universalism because there's another step. Do you know what you have to do if you want that? Because, all right, God's not stuck in Genesis 6. I'm sorry that I made mankind, so I got to kill them all. 
Do y'all remember Genesis 6, the flood? I'm sorry that I made them, so I got to kill them all. He's not stuck there. Do you know what God did? God said, I want a relationship with every single human on earth, so I'm going to forgive them all through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The question is, that forgiveness is offered to you, but do you want relationship with God? He's done everything in his power to open relationship to you. The question is, do you want relationship with him? What Zacchaeus did was he said, I want Jesus more than I want money, more than I want prestige, more than I want to be viewed as powerful. I want Jesus more. So God's not rejecting you. He wants, God's already forgiven you. Now what he wants is relationship with you. And for you to do that, I can forgive you of your sins. Say, say you say something bad about me, I can forgive you. You say something bad about me, I've already forgiven you. I've already forgiven you. But you know what? If you want relationship, you're going to have to come to me and we're going to have to have a talk about what you did to attack me. Right? Are y'all following me? This is what salvation is. God's already forgiven you. It's not God's fault you're not saved. It's your fault. So at some point, you're going to have to go to him and say, I'm sorry. I'm a jerk. Please forgive me. At some point, you've got to say, I want you more than anything else in this world, God. And if you'll do that, there's relationship and freedom there. So this past weekend, uh, me and my wife, we made a stop in Nashville on the way home. And I love rock and roll. Do y'all know that? I love it when a guitar is screaming and sounding good. And we were in this one place and they were playing because Broadway and Second Street, I, people watching is amazing. And the music is great. And we're in this place and they start playing Highway to Hell by, by ACDC. Now I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm not imposing this on any of you, but a long time ago, I made up my mind I would never listen to that song. I won't. So we had a nice, comfy, cozy spot, good seats. I mean, we were watching everybody. I got up and walked out. You know why I walked out? By the way, we went to another place, got really good seats, and they started playing the same song. Guess what we did there too? My wife's like... Because she knows. Let me tell you why I have that conviction. I'm not going to celebrate with you that you're rejecting God's love. I cannot celebrate with you as you celebrate rejecting the forgiveness and the grace and the love of God. I cannot do it. I will not do it. I'll do everything in my power to talk you out of it. Because God loves you. He cares for you so much that he died already to make the way for you. Quit trying to earn it. Quit trying to be good enough. Quit trying to be the awesome one and simply receive and say, God, I want you. Jesus, I want you. 
more than anything in this world. Okay. Sorry. You cut me. That's what I believe, though. I want you to know Jesus. Because I've experienced the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God and the restoring power of God. And I want you to have it too. If you're in this room and you have not taken that step and accepted that forgiveness of Jesus, I plead with you and beg with you. Today would be a great day. Today would be a great day. Would you bow your heads with me? That's you and you want to give your heart to Christ. Come on, God's talking to you. It's not me. God's talking to you. You want to give your heart to Christ today. You want to say, I receive your forgiveness, your restoration. If that's you, lift your hand real high. I want to pray with you. Yes. Are there others? Jesus, I pray right now that this act of faith this raised hand, this raised heart, that eternal life would be given in the name of Jesus Christ. Freedom, life, power over the devil, victory over every circumstance, and restored life and hope in the name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to ask you a question. One final thing. I wanted to be done here, but God kept dealing with me. It says this. Do y'all remember us reading this, nothing is impossible with God? Did y'all read that? Did, did anybody read that, nothing is impossible with God? You read it? There's some stuff that you might think are impossible that you've even quit praying about. Maybe you're tired of it. You don't even want to pray about it anymore. Maybe you prayed about it 10,000 times. You're like mad at God. He hadn't come through. Would you do yourself a favor today? Would you call that thing back up again and say, God, nothing's impossible with you. I bring it out again. Maybe some of you, you're in the middle of the mess right now. And you just, you just need the power of God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. God can redeem any situation. Any sickness, any disease, any struggle, he can redeem it. And if you want somebody to pray with you, there's people here. If you want to just pray where you're at, maybe you want to step out in the aisle as an act of faith. But I want you today to call out to God as they sing this song one final time. And I want you to ask God for the impossible. Let's go. Let's do it.